Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1st John. 1st John. First John, first John chapter four. In a moment, we're going to be reading from verses seven to verse 16 of first John chapter four with our title this morning for our sermon on that text. God is love. God is is love. This is a a statement that can often be misunderstood. If you went around people in the streets, perhaps people who never even went to church, and you asked them to say, do you agree with this? God is love. Probably most people would agree with you. But do they truly understand it? Do we understand it? The phrase God is love is not just that God is loves. It's more than that. Yes, God loves, but that is who he is. This is the character of God. It is such a wonderful character of God that it moves us who see him as he is to worship him in the greatness of his love. I wonder if we get to speak to the boys and girls here this morning. Boys and girls, do you love your mommy and your daddy? Do you love your mommy? And I hope you do. Do you love your grandparents? I bet you love going to your grandparents. You get so excited when you see them. And if I asked you, how much do you love your mommy and your daddy? Is it a little bit? Or is it more than that? Maybe it's from one finger to the other finger. It's like, no, no, no. It's more than that. It's from here to Graham's ice cream and back. Or maybe you love your mommy and your daddy even more than that. And you say, no, no. It's from here to the moon and back. That would be an amazing amount of love to have for your mommy or your daddy or your grandparents, grandma or granddad. But what about God? What about his love? Can we measure God's love? Can we get out a measuring tape and just say, here's how much he loves? The amazing thing about God's love and that God is love is we cannot measure it. It's not possible To measure it. Can anybody here swim? Anybody here swim? Imagine if you're a very good swimmer. Yes, I can swim for hours. I'm very good at it. And you say to you, okay, I want you to swim to the bottom of the ocean. It's not possible, is it? The ocean, it's too deep. It'll take too long. It's too hard to get to the depth, the very bottom of the ocean. It's too far down. Very deep. Now, does God's love have any bottom? 
Is it possible to say, oh, here's the limit of God's love? No. We could keep swimming to the bottom of that ocean, but there's no limit at all to the love of God. So when we say God is love, it's more than just say, yes, he is loving and kind. He is love without a limit, without end. He is, you could say, an infinite ocean of God's love. And just like, I don't know if anybody swims and if anybody goes scuba diving, and there's amazing creatures in there. There's fish going around. If you ever went to an aquarium, and you study it and go, wow, look at that strange looking creature there. That fish, he's, one's yellow, one's green. And you, you get a sense of, wow, isn't that amazing? But as it is with God, far more so. That his love, the more we look at it, the more we study it, the more we see, wow, look at its greatness. And there's nothing that keeps it in. You could travel a million miles that way. And it doesn't contain God's love. Go 20 million miles that way. And yet, God's love cannot be contained. Do you love people in your life? You love your family. And I bet you love them a great deal. And it's probably trying to measure it as hard. How much you love your mommy and your daddy. How much you love your grandparents. How much you love your own children. Those who are older here. But God's love, no matter how much you love anyone, is always going to be far more. Far more. So as we think about God's love and we read this text, I want us to think about the greatness of God's love. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read now from verses 7 down to verse 16. Let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. Beloved, let us love one another, for, God, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God, was sent, God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, That we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved. If God so loved us. So also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another. God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his, the son as savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word.
As I mentioned earlier, from last Monday to last Thursday, there was many ministers of the gospel in northern England, a place called Yarnfield in Stratford-upon-Avon. And it was a wonderful time of fellowship, of encouragement for many ministers of the gospel to come together and to, to speak to one another and to also hear preaching of the gospel themselves. Many talks were given over those four days and they encouraged us all and made us all, I think, anybody I talk to appreciate more being called into the ministry of the gospel. Made us all appreciate the blessings of being part of the church. How blessed the church is and how special Christ's bride is. I'll be honest, it made me long more and more to be home the more and more men spoke upon different topics relating to the church. Because, dear friends, we have a great privilege, don't we? We have a wonderful, wonderful privilege in the church to come before Almighty God, to come before a God of love, a God who is infinite love, a God whose love has no limits, None whatsoever. A love which reassures and encourages us. For those who are true believers in the gospel. Here in this service of worship here this morning. We are in the presence of this God spoken about by John. That God who is love. We are in the presence of him. And I wonder as we look through a God is love. Does it change our attitude? To him, when we consider the greatness of his love, and should it not also bring us closer to each other, to love one another, to make us more like him? May it this morning encourage us, may it stir us up, may it motivate us to love as he loved, to be more like him who is infinite love. Our first point this morning is the foundation of love, the foundation. Of love, verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8 of our text. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Let us love one another. Another. We're to love one another as members of this one body in Christ, based upon a foundation. That love has a root, a foundation, and a source. See, John isn't just saying, well, love one another because that's the right thing to do. No, he's saying, love one another because. God is love. Now, I do not think for a second that there's anyone here this morning, at least I hope there's not, that thinks my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ doesn't matter. Um, if, you, if you are thinking like that, that's a dark place to be in. Our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ does matter. And if you think it doesn't, you really need to repent and seek help from the Lord. But 
Often, we, in theory, we, we realize that. We all have to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? In theory, we do. But what about in practice, lived out? John is not just telling people to do something, but showing them why they are to love one another. The very foundation. The problem is, if you, if you just start going, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. But if you don't have the right principles and foundation for doing that right thing, well, what will happen? You're going to be moved around with, with whatever way the wind is blowing. Now, we talked about earlier the infinite love of God before the reading. That is a special love that none of us have in the same way that God has. His love is without limits. Our love is always limited. The purest love we will have for our children, as much as we love them, is limited, isn't it? It has a beginning and it has an end. But God is without limits in time and in space. He is without any limitation upon his love. And here is that source, that foundation of our love for one another... That we in practice, in reality, lived out, truly love one another. To know God, in another way, is to know of his love. So if we've tasted and seen that God is love, who trusts in him, is blessed, what will happen? Will it not change us? Will it not bless us? Will it not make us different people? Will it not bring us closer to him, making us more like him? It's... God's love is not just for us in an island by ourselves. There's a big danger, isn't it? Oh, God loves me. That comforts me. But we should really be, as we drink from the fountain of living waters, as we drink more from that that precious water, which is God, it flows out of us, doesn't it? Like Like a spring that flows out, and it not just blesses you, but it blesses other people around you. This is the way we've been made. We've not been made to be islands by ourselves. We're to have this love for his bride because why? He loves his bride. The Lord Jesus Christ loves his bride. And we are to love what God loves and also to hate what God hates. How? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Psalm 34 verse 8. When we taste of that goodness, if you try good food, you go to a restaurant and go, oh, I've never tasted that before. What is that? Oh, I enjoy that. You get an appetite, don't you, for that good food? Oh, I want more of that. Please, can I have some more? You may not have liked that food in the past, but you try it in a different way. Well, those who taste and see that God is good, they want different things. They do different things. And they start to exhibit a loving attitude more and more toward their brothers and sisters in Christ. A foundation of love is knowing God. We have to know God. Or we cannot love in the way that John is speaking here. Beloved. And I love the tenderness of which John writes to them. John earlier calls them little children. He's not patronizing them. He's speaking tenderly and lovingly to them. He also says, beloved. Not just that he loves them, but 
beloved, you've been accepted in the beloved. You are one of the beloved in Christ. Love one another. Why? Because love is of God. We need that foundation of love to love. Because without it, verse 8, he warns us. John warns us under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He who does not love does not know God. Same reason. For God is love. For God is love. Without a foundation of love, your love will be of a different kind. It will be like the world and it will sink for the church. I wonder, have, has anybody here ever been to Italy? There's a famous place in the middle of Italy. It's called Pisa. And in Pisa, there's a tower you probably know what it is, and everybody, when they're taking pictures with it, they're, they're leaning against it. The leaning tower of Pisa. And it's actually, I remember scratching my head wondering, why is this so popular? Why is, why is the leaning tower so famous? Why do a lot of people, when they go to Italy, they go to this leaning tower of Pisa? It's actually sinking. One of the reasons it's sinking is because it was bad design. It had a bad foundation. I suppose it's unusual, so it gets attention. Um, but it was in danger of falling over for hundreds of years. Actually, a lot of people were wondering, is this tower going to fall over at some stage? But there's actually, from a building point of view, just two other buildings left of it that are far more impressive than the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Not many people pay attention to those buildings. They have a good foundation. They are not sinking. And this is almost like a picture of the world, isn't it? The world is fascinated by that which does not have a good foundation of love. It's attracted toward that which has a bad foundation. Bad foundations of love are very popular today. You hear it today, you know, even over the last couple of years, the the phrase, love your neighbor. But but what does it mean to love your neighbor? And, And it's a sincere question. Because one person's definition of love may be very different to another definition of love. We need a good foundation for how we are to love each other. Otherwise, much like this tower in the middle of Italy in Pisa, we're in danger of falling into ruin. How do we know that we truly love God and know God? Well, one of the major tests is we will have a love To be around brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not that we won't know people in the world. We will. But we feel instantly more at home. With believers. No matter their background. This is one one of the fascinating things. I noticed you know going uh, to conferences. And you meet people from the middle of Asia. And you have nothing in common with them. Except for this. Faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a bond. A unity there. And that love one toward another. Because it says in our text, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for, for love is of God. And everyone, that is all people, who loves is born of God and knows God. Which, which is, means what? If you've been born again of the Spirit of God, you love the brethren. Now, this also includes other people beyond the church, but especially in the church 
So that's the foundation of love. Number two, now we're going to look at the motivation of love. The motivation of love. Verses 9 to 11. Verses 9 to 11. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, so ought, so also ought to love one another. We also ought to love one another. The motivation of love. In being asked to love one another, John and the word of God, really the word of God, is not asking us to do anything that Jesus himself didn't do or wasn't willing to do. Actually, no matter what we do in this world, Jesus has always done far more and suffered far more than we ever will. Jesus did it and far more in his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection. is not only that he is love, but God showed us and displayed his love. He showed it to us openly to the world in Christ, sending his dear, only begotten son, the one he shares an eternal relationship with, the one in whom he delights The one who is full of grace and truth. The son who is one with the father and the Holy Spirit. The second person of the triune God. And how much is Christ worth? How much is Christ worth? Because really how much we love something. Would be indicated by how much we give to something. Isn't that true? If we love something very much. We're willing often to suffer more for it. And to pay A higher price for it. This text here, it shows us to motivate us to love and seeing God's love demonstrated and shown and displayed toward us. Is he worth, let's talk to the boys and girls again. Is Jesus worth this much? Is he worth this much? Is he worth from here to Graham's ice cream? Is Jesus worth from here to the moon and back? And you're thinking, I don't know how to answer that. The thing is, he's not. He's worth far more than that. He's worth far more than that. Is he worth all the money in the world combined? He's worth far more than that. Imagine... If you could take the Pacific Ocean, the Pacific Ocean is the largest ocean in the world. Imagine if you emptied all the water, imagine if you emptied all the water out of the Pacific Ocean. You took all the water out and you put in gold, coins, covering 64 million miles squared. Imagine all those, imagine the value of that. Is Jesus worth that? No, friends, he's worth far, far more. And when we think about how much he is worth, how much he suffered, 
we see more and more the immense depth, the immense value of his love in sending his only begotten son to assume human flesh, to suffer and die for lawbreakers such as you and I. If you had a huge bill to pay, imagine you had a huge bill to pay, and you, there's no way you can ever pay this bill back. You could work, on, you could work until the time you're 100 years old, and you could spend every single penny trying to pay back this bill, but you can't pay it. It's too high. It's too great. You've borrowed money, perhaps, from someone you shouldn't have borrowed money from. But then a friend comes along. And without question, willingly pays everything you owe. Something that a friend saved up for many years. To put it into their... They saved it for many years. And just without question, they gave it to you. What would you think of that friend? Wouldn't they be probably the, one of the most important people in your life? Somebody, would, you be, would you find it be hard to be grateful to them? No. When that friend comes, you would probably hug them and be so thankful to them. Paying a huge debt. Releasing you from that bondage. Well, friends, we have a friend who's far closer. The Lord Jesus Christ, what did he give? He didn't give money. He gave more than money. He gave his life. His life. He gave it and suffered under the penalty that we deserve. Christ paid far, far more. And as we see this extraordinary Incredible demonstration of love. Shouldn't it motivate us? As John writes, beloved, in verse 11. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because he loved us. Not that we first loved him. But that he loved us. So we should also demonstrate in a much smaller way than he ever did. But yet we ought to love one another. And in loving one another, if we love Jesus, we will keep his commandments. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In loving others, by the way, Jesus' love shouldn't motivate us as well. But if we love one another... Do you ever find if you're around very loving Christians, Christians who are just amazing, they're just, you come into their home and there's a warmth and a love and a joy. They encourage you, don't they? They motivate you to be a better person. They motivate you to be closer to Christ as they are. May his love this morning motivate us in our love of one another. Number three now, the habitation of love or habitation, or you could say the home of love. And do you ever hear the phrase, I'm sure you have, home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. Where does your heart and your love abide? Where is home for you? Where does it remain? Verses 12 and 13. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us 
of his spirit. That word abide. That word can also mean remain. Or to dwell as you would dwell in a home. Where is your heart? Is your home in this world? Loving what it loves? Hating what the world hates? Well, John reminds us, he says in verse 8, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. But verse 12 says this, No one has seen God at any time. No one has seen God at any time. And I wonder, can anybody here remember your shorter catechism you learned when you were young? And the question four of the shorter catechism, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God is a spirit, invisible. No one has seen God at any time. He's invisible. So how can you see his love? How can you see it? Well, verse 12 also says, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us, or made complete in us. It'll be seen in his followers, won't it? It'll be seen in his people. That will show, of course, in an imperfect way, but to love one another. And I wonder... And this needs to be the goal of every New Testament church. If anyone came to visit our church here in Rathra Island, would they see, if they just observed, say they were not even a believer, would they see a love one toward another? Not just in theory, but in reality. A common bond. Because if we say we love God, yet show no love for one another, what kind of testimony is that to the world? The world is looking, there's often, there's a sense in which the world is looking for meaning, isn't it? You get a lot of young people, they're not believers, but they're, they're searching for, for meaning, for longing, for significance, and so they go from movement to movement, and they can't quite settle, because their hearts are restless until they find rest in God, and God has put eternity on the hearts of every single person. Would they be, you could say, attracted by the love, by the fragrance in amongst us? Would there be a sense of jealousy to say, I don't have what they have. Oh, I wish I had what they had. That is the sense of which when Christian love is like that, it is a glorious thing. It is a wonderful thing. Because if we do not show love toward one another as believers in Christ, we ourselves can be a stumbling block, can't we? There are many young people who have grown up in the church and have a bad taste in their mouth. Maybe people have fallen out with each other. Maybe whatever's happened. But we can become a stumbling block before others. Jesus, when he was praying to his father, what did he pray for? One of the things he prayed for was unity. Unity. He said this, Jesus praying to his father, John 17, verse 20 and 21, I do not pray for these alone, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And Jesus gives his reason why he prays for this unity, that the world may believe. That the world may believe that you sent me. Now this verse is often misunderstood. It's often made to sound like, well, we've got to join up with all the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestants just got to get together and be unified. That's not what it means. The true believers, we need to strive to be one in truth, in one mind, one spirit. A unity also in love. We've got to be careful as well because it's easy to love people you agree with. It's harder to love people who you disagree with. So we need to, our home in the church, it needs to be loving, warm, kind, inviting. So that, look, there may be people in the town wondering, I don't know if I can go in there. I've never gone in there my whole life. I remember the first time I went to a church I was so nervous. It seems strange now, I know. But, and people were lovely and wonderful and welcoming. But I was so nervous. It's not just about the, the person coming to visit, but do they see that love, that care? Verses 13 and 14. By this we know that we abide in him. We live in him. We dwell in him. We remain in him. And he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. If we have the Spirit dwelling in us, making a living, living in our hearts, dwelling in our hearts, well, what's going to come out of that heart? Is He not the Spirit of love? And will not our hearts yearn for heaven? They will. They will. So we've looked at that habitation of love. Our final point, number four, is the confession of love. The confession of love. So we've looked at the foundation, the motivation, the accommodation or habitation of love, and then confession of love. Love is not just a feeling. The world thinks that love is but a feeling. And if you don't have those warm fuzzies a couple of years into marriage, well... This is how the world thinks. And it's sinking sand. That is not how we're to love one another based upon our feelings. Now feelings are important. But we must not follow our feelings. Love essentially here, God is love. It's speaking of his character. Verses 15 and 16 says this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. Now, it says confesses here. There's a content to love. There's a belief in love. There's, you could even say, as we said earlier in, in the previous sermon, there's a doctrine or a teaching. There's a content of love. You see, for a long time, theological liberals will say this, God is love. A liberal will say this, well, God is love, so it doesn't really matter what's in your mind. And the, the phrase God is love becomes meaningless. 
It doesn't mean anything after a while. True love believes in this God who he is as he has been revealed in the scriptures. In verse 15 it says once more, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. That is, there's a lot there. That he is the son, only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. That he is, put another way, he is God. He is God. The word here translated confesses, it's got the idea of saying the same thing. Saying the same thing. And what does it mean to confess? Now often we think of confess, we think of, I confess I did wrong. It can mean that. But it's really to believe. We have confessions of faith, don't we? Confessions of faith. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. We have confessions of faith. We, Our church, the Reformed Presbyterian Church, has the, the Westminster Confession of Faith. We believe. We believe certain truths about Jesus being the Son of God, born of a virgin. That he is love, one with God, the Son of God. He is worthy of all the praise, all the honor. He is worthy of our allegiance and obedience, worthy of our worship. This phrase confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. You could really talk about this phrase just by itself for hours and hours. It says in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look at what it says, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession. Confession is made unto salvation. Our hearts believe, trust, rest upon, accept the truth of God, and our mouths confess before the world. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not just information we store in our minds and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, to. It's more than that. That we're trusting in him, that he is the truth, the way, and the life. Because if we trust him, it will affect how we speak about him, won't it? Mark 8, verses 37 and 38 says this. Jesus is speaking. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If we're ashamed of him before men, it's a very dangerous place to be. Now we may, there's times when we all should have taken opportunities to share the gospel. There's times when we, and this includes myself, when I think, oh, that was an opportunity to speak to that postman about such and such. And then I'll say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for not taking that opportunity to share the gospel. We'll all fall short. But if we, if we are like what we might call a secret Christian, no one knows you're a Christian, or probably outside of your church, then that is a dangerous place to be. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation 
of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed. Then in verse 16, finally it says this, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. What does it mean to believe? To have this faith in the infinite love, the one who is infinite love? We believe his promises toward us. We believe his love is sincere. We believe his love is sincere. We struggle with that, don't we? We all do. We look in the mirror and say, what's there to love in me? He's not seeing you, friend. He's seeing Christ. The devil wants you to look at yourself. The devil wants you to remember every single bad thing you've ever done. If you've repented and asked for forgiveness, forget about it and move on. I know that's not easy. The devil wants you to remember everything. To drive you from the throne of grace. But when Christ clothes you, you're not naked in shame anymore before him. And that God of love, he embraces you, loves you cherishes you and we don't deserve it none of us deserve it but he does it and we get to share life with him will it ever end that life no in 10,000 years time we'll still have life with Christ in a million years time will we have life with Christ absolutely if we had a vision Of that love. A little shining light of that love. Imagine what it would do for our hearts. In this generation. His love. My dear friends. Is inexhaustible. We may at times as mere creatures. Test each other's patience. Won't we at times. But God is inexhaustible. His love is inexhaustible. His love has no limits. So boys and girls who are here this morning. He loves to hear your questions and your prayers. He loves them if you come in Christ, if you come by faith, trusting in him. And perhaps those people have fallen into sin. If you come asking for forgiveness, he loves your prayers. Delights in them, they're a sweet aroma before the throne of God. And when we see that, Won't we want to share that love one with another? Amen.